Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about how treadmills were originally used as torture devices. Then you'll learn about how biology is connected to subjects you might not expect with biologist and author Melanie Peffer. Let's satisfy some curiosity. If you've ever been on a treadmill and thought, this is torture, you weren't too far off. The treadmill has long reigned as America's most popular piece of exercise equipment, but its story didn't start with a quest for great glutes. It was originally invented to rehabilitate British prisoners. British prisons in the 19th century were pretty rough. They were overcrowded, they were unsanitary, and they didn't even provide food or blankets to their prisoners. Families actually bribed guards to sneak in supplies like that. Petty thieves escaped death and exile, often emerging from prison with a whole new network of accomplices and a resume of criminal skills. Prison administrators decided that hard labor would teach them a lesson. So civil engineer Sir William Cubitt designed a machine in 1818 that could deliver on all fronts. Known as the Tread Wheel, or Everlasting Staircase, it was a horizontal paddle wheel that could accommodate dozens of prisoners at once. A prisoner would press his foot down on a step embedded in the wheel, and that would move the wheel and expose the next step. It started out as a work machine, with the wheel milling corn or pumping water. But eventually, it just became a torture device. Prisoners spent up to 10 hours at a time walking on the wheel in silence. 10 strenuous and mind-numbingly boring hours. In fact, some said it wasn't the physical agony that made it hard to bear. It was the boredom. One writer said that it was the treadwheel's, quote, monotonous steadiness and not its severity, which constitutes its terror, end quote. Still, it was physically strenuous. Prisoners would be flogged if they couldn't keep up with the rest of the group, and they were often pushed to exhaustion. The device's highest death rate was one prisoner per week. And one of the treadwheel's final victims was Irish playwright Oscar Wilde, who spent hours on it while imprisoned for his sexual orientation from 1895 to 1897. Wilde's health was so badly damaged that he died just three years later at the age of 46. Treadwheels were exported to other British colonies and America in the mid-19th century, but they never caught on quite like they did in their homeland, and Britain finally banned them for their cruelty in 1898. But treadmills didn't totally disappear in the 20th century. Farmers used livestock-powered treadmills to operate machinery, and doctors started using them to assess heart health. The treadmill earned its household status thanks to the booming aerobic exercise industry that sprouted up in the 60s. So the next time you're on a treadmill, try not to think about its original purpose. I mean, at least today, we've got headphones, right? If you've ever taken a math or science class, at some point you've probably wondered, when am I ever going to use this stuff? Like, how does chemistry or calculus or geology actually help me in the real world? Well, that's exactly the type of question today's guest just loves to answer. Melanie Peffer, Ph.D., is the best-selling author of the book Biology Everywhere, How the Science of Life Matters to Everyday Life. 
In it, she connects biology to subjects you'd never think were possible, like business and parenting. Today, she's going to explain how biology relates to two things many of us enjoy. But first, I asked her how she makes these connections in the first place. How do you go about connecting biology to all of those subjects that you talked about? Like, what's maybe like, what's the first step? Yeah. So when it comes to thinking about how biology relates to our lives, I just come up with the most random stuff. I'm always putting stuff on social media that just comes up over the course of my day, or I have a three-year-old son and he'll just hand me something and say, what is this? And so then we have a lesson about blueberries and antioxidants and why antioxidants are good for us, or a lesson about bacon. Everybody really liked my bacon social media post because everybody likes bacon. And it's a great exemplar of protein biochemistry because that's why bacon changes color and texture when we cook it. And so when you think about biochemistry in terms of bacon, it's much more accessible. And with the interdisciplinary piece, this is related to the research that I do and trying to think of how the world works when we think about it through multiple lenses. And so some of them were easy connections to make. So I'm a lifelong musician. And so really thinking about the relationship between biology and the arts was easier for me because it was something that I had already thought a lot about. And some of it was really just inspired by my students. So I had one student who was a business major and he did his capstone project for the semester on the business of biology and how grant funding decisions are made. And he just loved it. And that was the inspiration for the chapter in the book on the business of biology. Yeah, I'd love to dive into some of those examples you made. So tell us more about what what makes bacon change color when you cook it. Okay, so if you think about proteins, so we hear about proteins, we have to eat our meat because it's a good source of protein and cheese has protein and protein helps build our muscles and keeps us full. And so what protein looks like at the molecular level is that it's folded up in a particular way. So you can almost think of it like origami. So you can have a flat piece of paper and then you can fold it up to make a swan. Or maybe a boat is a better example. So you can make an origami boat and then you can put it in a bathtub or whatever and let it float around. Whereas if you just put a flat piece of paper in there, it wouldn't float. And so proteins work the same way. They start by being just a single chain. So it's called primary structure. So you think of that like the flat piece of paper and then they fold up in a particular way. And that means that they can do a job or a function just like that little boat can float on the water. So proteins are folded and that's how they normally work. And there's examples where misfolded proteins lead to certain diseases, of course. But when we cook things, those proteins start to unfold. So instead of having the little origami boat, now we have a flat piece of paper again. And as it unfolds, it's changing shape. And so we see that shape change and how the texture changes and how the color changes. Oh, nice. How does biology connect to music? I'm also a musician, um, and I'm, I'm curious about that. It's music and the arts as well, and I'll start with music. And so biology can tell us about our experience with music. And so there was research that was done looking at dopamine release in music. So, you know, you think if you think for a second about a piece of music that just really gets you going, that, that just gives you the goosebumps. What's happening is that when you get goosebumps and those feelings of pleasure when you listen to music, is it's because of dopamine release in the brain. So dopamine is a neurotransmitter. So it's a chemical that our neurons use for talking to one another. And if you increase dopamine release when somebody's listening to a piece of music, it's even more amazing, even more goosebumps, even more of an incredible experience. And if you do the opposite experiment and you block dopamine release, suddenly we don't have that experience anymore. It's, it's like taking the trash out. It's just like, oh, okay, it's fine. 
So biology tells us about our experience listening to music as well as playing music. So why early music education is so important for children because it helps them develop executive function and gross motor skills and fine motor skills. There was a group in Sweden that did studies showing that people who sing together actually synchronize their heart rates. So we have this physiological connection. We have this social connection. It's been hypothesized that human evolution is very closely tied to music because people who make music together are closely integrated together. And so when humans were more of a hunter-gatherer society, groups that made music together um, were more cohesive and more likely to survive. So the biology and music kind of fits in both ways. And then the arts too. So I just had a TED-Ed lesson that came out this week describing how art influenced one of the greatest discoveries in neuroscience. And so Santiago Ramoni Cajal was an artist and a scientist, and he would draw and draw and draw again the neurons. And that's how he came up with the idea that neurons are single cells rather than connected as a big web of tissue or reticular theory. And that is now the foundation for modern neuroscience. It's called the neuron doctrine. And that happened because he had that artist's eye and that ability to draw the cells and really think about what that meant in terms of their functioning. Again, that was Melanie Peffer, PhD, the best-selling author of the book Biology Everywhere, How the Science of Life Matters to Everyday Life. You can find the link to the book along with her TED-Ed lesson and more in the show notes. Ashley, what did we learn today? Cody, we learned that treadmills were originally used as torture devices in British prisons. No big surprise, right? They were finally banned for their cruelty in 1898, but not before doing some serious damage. But fortunately, a device created for evil is now being used for slightly less evil. I have a feeling I know what your thoughts on treadmills are. <laughs> I mean, they they are very useful in certain circumstances, like when the weather's too terrible to run in. Or they're also very good for speed intervals because they keep you at a, a set speed. Sometimes they're even good for hill running when you live in a very flat place like Chicago. But uh, it doesn't mean I like them. Doesn't mean I like them. Yeah, I actually can relate to that sentiment from a long time ago about it being more the boredom. Like I just, oh man, can't do it. My number one tip for... Making time on a treadmill survivable is put a towel over the control panel so you don't know how long you've been on there or how far you've gone. You can check when you want to, but if you're just constantly staring at the numbers, it's going to feel like time hasn't passed at all and you're just you're going to be miserable. A watch pot never boils. Yeah, it's basically the same concept for sure. Good tip. And my tip is listen to Curiosity Daily. Your treadmill time will fly by. But you already knew that, didn't you? It's true. We also learned that biology is everywhere, from cooking bacon to listening to music. People who sing together actually synchronize their heart rates, and there are theories that music is important to human evolution. So remember, from business to parenting, biology is pretty much everywhere you look. I loved that paper boat analogy. Like, you can think of a protein as a flat piece of paper, but then you need to fold the protein for it to do a job. So you can fold it like a paper boat and then it floats on the water. That's basically the same thing. And I'm going to remember that every time I think about folding proteins. Maybe it's common. Maybe a lot of biology teachers use that analogy, but I've never heard it and I think it's great. I, I just see it. You know, it's so visual. There's even biology on the treadmill, which is why you have to wipe it down. I mean, hopefully, 
He's got to make that joke. <laughs> Today's first story was written by Stuffy Drucker. Script and audio editing by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Today's episode was produced and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow with your ears, which is biology, to learn something new with your brain, which is biology, in just a few minutes, which is physics or horology, maybe. But, you know, two out of three ain't bad, right? And until then, stay curious. <laughs>